G'day everybody and welcome to The Dan Show on Slice Radio. It's big episode number 15. This week I've got two big chats with two very funny chaps. First up is Dr. John Ozelay, or just John Ozelay as we know him. He's a super funny comedian that has a really great special called Snake Oil. Buy that and follow him everywhere you can because he's hilarious. He's also got a new special coming out soon, so if you follow him, you'll be able to grab it as soon as it's available. Lucky you. Next up is my old mate David Huntsberger. Not that he's old, but I've known him for a good amount of time, is what I mean. He has a new comedy special coming out very soon called Big Nothingness. It's amazing. I've seen it. We're all going to love it. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you might remember last week we talked to Rob Hatchmiller and Paloma Basu, who made the other music documentary. On Instagram, we're running a promotion where you can win one free rental of the other music documentary. It's an amazing documentary and well worth paying for, but you could get it for free. Go over to Instagram and follow us, and then DM or message us, whichever you like. Unique New York, the first three people to do that will win one of the free rental codes, which is very cool, I think. Okay, on with the show. First up, we've got US comedian John Azalei, then a little bit later, US comedian David Huntsberger. Lot of US, lot of comedians, lot of fun. Enjoy. Well, we've got... Dr. John Ozelay with us right at the moment, a comedian of note, um, saver of Maiden's Fair, Slayer of Dragons. What else have you been up to, John? Oh, you know, just uh, thriving in in our uh, relatively post-pandemic world, I guess. Uh, I don't know how it is over there, but things, at least in California, are starting to open up a bit. Yeah. We've had the Delta strain come in from India. And it's uh, causing a bit of a ruckus. Oh, <laughs> Variants—they they get a little attitude. They got their own little personality, and they think they can wreak havoc. Yes. Uh, anyway, all all that aside, all pandemics yeah. aside, what happens in a person's brain when they see uh, like a really funny TikTok video? I know you've been thinking about this, probably. Oh yeah, I mean. Scientists have been trying to crack TikTok for, you know, decades now. Even before it was invented, they were like, there's going to be this medium. We, we've theorized it. It's, it's com- We know it's coming. we got to figure out before it destroys the, the entire space-time continuum. Uh, <laughs> the, I, you know, like it's the humor appreciation mechanisms in the brain. Like, I feel like it's, you know, somewhat connected to like, especially in the visual medium, when there's someone's doing uh, like a dance, like a more active TikTok like that, it's probably a little bit connected to the like mirror neurons where like you're having that sort of neural, neural empathy, you can see yourself making these silly dances as the other person does. So you're kind of rooting for them like you would a sports team, you know, just like, oh, they're, they're, they're pulling off these dance moves. I'm, I'm enjoying this ride with them neurologically. And then when, you know, <clears throat> then there's a twist. And then that's when the uh, humor appreciated that incongruity, that, that surprise, the, that's when the little 
neural what's it called neural deb uh, cognitive debugging was one of the theories about it that like you're you're doing that math of like this shouldn't be happening oh it is oh no and then you laugh and it's it's all very invigorating for your your cortex that's it exactly because i mean i love to watch people dance and i don't particularly like to dance myself i don't like i don't like to dance myself and um that's not what they say about you. They they see you streets. There's pictures of you, like uh, like the Sasquatch, and you out there dancing in the woods. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, you know TikTok, they're doing a lot of business over there. The kids, but look, we're oh, not yeah. we're not worried about that. No, I, I mean, I've I downloaded it and and created an account mostly just so no one would steal my name uh, before. Yeah. Not, I mean, like my name's pretty unique, so it's not like I'm at a huge risk or anything. I'm not like John Smith or anything, but I I do want to take claim my handle on every social media before it gets scooped up by an interloper trying to pass themselves off as my dance moves. Um, but I have not much watched it, um, and I'm, uh, you know, I keep hearing, you know, going back and forth, like, oh, it's just for the kids, or oh, it's just a, a pathway to a new audience for potential fans, which like makes sense. But yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not a very physical comedian, and uh, even though I enjoy dance on my own terms, I'm not going to dance for anyone. That's that's one of the things. I'm no dancing <laughs> monkey. You know, dance monkey. No, not at all. And uh, did I see you tweeting about basketball the other day? Gosh, I hope mm -hmm. I did. My beloved Los Angeles Clippers uh, have been eliminated from the playoffs. Oh, last no. Night. Yeah. Yeah, rough go, rough go. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they went further than they ever have, and that's all I can ever ask, you know, strive to for the, the stars at Astra, you know? I think, uh, yeah, I've got to see the last 20 minutes of that. Thanks for reminding me. And jot that down. Wow, it's a rough. It's real tricky. Uh, <laughs> is like, is, is the NBA big over there? Well, yes, amongst people who like basketball and right. um, people who just like sport in general will be aware of them. Like when I was right into sport, I was aware of, you know, uh, Hakeem Elijah won. So that will give you a bit of a time, sure, <laughs> time sure. stamp. And, you know, and big players. But um, I once went to, uh, I think they, were, they used, in Sydney, they used to be called the Sydney Supersonics, which is the worst name ever. Oh, wow. And then they changed to the Sydney Kings, which was better. Mm. And um, um, my rugby mates and I decided that we'd go down and we'd uh, take Sydney on. We'd travel into town, take Sydney on and, and see a show, which was, this, you know, the Sydney Kings. They lost. Um, but we heard that there was a pub that all the players went to because mm. in Australia you don't generally don't just play one sport you play multiple sports sometimes at the same time <laughs> even in the, in in the same season so wow. uh, a few of the blokes were basketball players it, it was never me and so we we went to this uh, particular pub called the Pump House which I don't think is there anymore but that's beside the point. And so we waited and waited and waited, getting drunker and drunker and drunker. And um, and they came, all the all the players came, and we were so excited. But we weren't we weren't like adult enough to go over and say, "Hey, good game," which they would have been over the moon with. I mean, good try. Right. What we decided to do is because 
you know, we were all biggish lads and we had a, we had a six foot fiver and a six foot three. We, th- we thought we'd just try and sidle alongside them and, and then we would look at what they, they, we looked like next to professional basketball players. <laughs> That's all we wanted to do. And um, we ended up looking like 15 year old kids. Uh, alongside these athletes, like these twenty-five-year-old men, I and know. That's so, yeah. the sad. They're so much younger than us, and they're just towering. And uh, like, e- even somehow, like the shorter, it's um, it's guards, isn't it? Even the, like Shane Heal, which is a name you may or may not know, but anyway, he's a very good. He he's only sort of five eleven or something like that. He somehow managed to look better and bigger and um, so much more fit than um, some of our big boys. But anyway, that's my basketball story. It's it's only yeah, no, it's not I... good. <laughs> it's not good to be over there. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm six foot three and like I would be, you know, a, a relatively decent sized point guard mm. in the NBA, although not even now. Like that's the thing is they have, uh, what's his face in, in Dallas, uh, Luka Doncic. He's like 6'10 or something and or 6'8 and he's one of the best point guards in the league. Um, and, and like even, I mean, my uh, fiance, uh, Amy, she, she had, her cousin played in the NBA and he's seven foot. Um, and so like, I'm, you know, fingers crossed if we ever have a kid, he's, he's he or she's going to the NBA or WNBA. Um, cause, uh, you know, my fiance is, uh, five foot 11. So yeah, we're, we're some tall people, but like, even then, like even within her own family, she's dwarfed by the, uh, NBA genes. Do you think you got chosen by your fiance for being a bit taller than average? <laughs> well, by process of elimination. Yeah. I don't think she's necessarily quite allured by the, the short Kings as they call them. No, no, that's a tricky one. You you do see it. My wife's tall. Um, she's about a hundred and eight, you know, just a shade off six foot. Um, but I am I'm I'm what we call in the business uh, the David Huntsberger five eleven, <laughs> which is five ten. Right there, you go. In uh, in which because to get a little bit closer to to six foot, you can you can always say five eleven. No one's going to check that. And you know, no, so no. but um, a meter stick, or do you guys do um, uh, metric over there? Yeah, but uh, older older people, you know, I don't, I'm not 60, 64 or anything like that. I can do both, okay. Uh, so you know, they do it in centimeters. Well, it's a, you know, six, six, you know, six foot is such a uh, incongruous is that the right word you're a, it's it's so um it, it, it's so rooted in our um in our society yeah. is that you know five foot six foot and then if you're a giant seven foot so people sort of know what they look like but really when they go to measure themselves if they go to see the doctor or whatever then they'll then know their centimeters oh wow. i don't know it, it's weird yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I, I'm a, I'm a proponent of metric system. If I was, you know, president for a day in in America, I would like force us to change the metric system. But there's no like, yeah, it's such a long spectrum of centimeters that like six feet sounds so much better than whatever that converts to in uh, centimeter. 
find it quite striking when I see someone closer to seven foot than six six. So I think, oh God, what must their like life be like? And I think, you know, pretty much pretty normal, most of the same challenges and then a subset of different challenges to myself. Back problems leaning over all the time. Yeah, because it's you know, you're living in a world not made for you, right, Jono? No, 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 you're you are ish. Yeah. I'm like right at the the tall end of the bell curve, I guess. I I, uh, I have advantages and very few disadvantages, so I'm quite privileged um, where I don't have to bump my head on anything, but I can still reach the top shelf. But so no one's having a fun on on an airplane unless you're. Um... No, that's true. Yeah, I I mean I certainly have to squash up a little bit, but I'm not like struggle you know i can i can make it happen that brings us neatly to to shows like have you traditionally been uh like a road dog i have in the in the past for sure not in the past year although weirdly yeah, sure. i the the last live show i did pre-covid was in uh bangkok thailand i was on a tour of asia through the southeast asian peninsula the malaysian malaysia singapore and uh uh, Thailand, which is uh, pretty suspicious, actually, that I arrived in America days before COVID did. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I was I would go on the road a fair bit in America, and we'll be doing that this summer. But in you know nothing international yet. Even like we, we can't even go to Canada mm. um, to do shows yet until probably next year. Got a couple in July, and you've got a whole whack in. Uh in august oh yeah, yeah. Um, august is the month where i'm like finally <clears throat> comfortable and hopefully no no variant has taken over the south which is probably the hot spot that it would but uh <laughs> i will be yeah, be on the road again august and and then i think more october as well that's fantastic and do you do you book yourself we've got uh, a couple of some lovely people who um book you Oh, I, I book myself uh, for this. Yeah, for those kind of gigs. I I do have people that would theoretically book me if I was more famous or made money in any other uh, higher capacity. But until I'm selling out uh, arenas, I'm I'm just booking the small clubs myself. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Um, no. I've never asked another comedian this before but i mean how do these figures work so you live on the west coast right right so you want to go where would where would be a place where would be a zanies or um rooster tea feathers that you might go to regularly because i want to go for the figures here and see how you guys possibly make money oh yeah well we don't that's the that's the trick <laughs> it's like everyone argues about what comedy should be but everyone has agreed that it shouldn't make money uh, that's everyone needs to be poor and have like, that's, it's just, you, you're have to make money in writing or acting or, and, and, or a side job and not disconnected to comedy altogether until you're like a famous name. So, so uh, where, where would be like a regular place you'd, you'd fly to yeah. back in the olden days? Well, I would probably, I mean, in, in LA, there's the comedy store and the improv and there's improvs as a, um, <clears throat> chain around the country so there's mm. uh, and stand-up live as well is connected so there's like bigger clubs in in like major cities like there's a stand-up live in phoenix there's an improv in san jose 
Um, there's the punchline in San Francisco. Although actually, uh, sadly, there, there's, I, who knows anymore? I haven't even checked some major cities, probably their, their uh, major club is closed down. The, hmm. um, the Comedy Underground in Seattle closed down, for instance, very recently. Um, a few, few people have like moved, like there's some clubs, like one in Austin, Cap City, that was been, you know, David must have mentioned it at some point, David Huntsberger, uh, local Austin hero, oh, uh, yeah. probably performed there a bunch. It moved locations. I haven't seen the new one, but mm. hopefully it's still good. But yeah, there's no real guarantee that those big clubs even exist as in the olden times. So you wouldn't do it. I mean, I used to be a musician. We used to go, you know, spend fortunes on gear, um, cars to get, you know, vans, all that sort of thing. But we would be left with what you would say was a fair day's wage. Mm-hmm. So you got you must have a little bit by the time you you jet back into into home. You know, it must be a, a few few bucks. Otherwise, you couldn't possibly you know, live as a professional comedian. Man. Right? Yeah. Like we, <clears throat> it depends on like how much you can sort of leverage out of like a, a individual club, or if you can just do a string of them. So like when I go to the mm-hmm. south, those ones aren't huge rooms, but I can do you know ten straight days of shows. Uh, eventually once, once I book up all the off nights and like little bars and, and breweries and art gallery, wherever they ha- were doing comedy in small town mm. Appalachia. Uh, so those ones, like you string it together and like, you know, it, it obviously like one, one club will cover your flight and hotels for the whole of the thing. And then the other club will kind of be your major source of income, I guess. Yeah. Oh well, you know. Sorry to pick your brain about that. I was just, I was just wondering how how it works. You know, and now you have a lot more people, so flights are cheaper. Oh, and yeah. I, know, I know foods in general cheaper, so that's that's a couple of big costs. And I understand a lot of them lay on lay on accommodation. So yeah, it's yeah, sort I, of starting to come together in my mind. Yeah, there's there's like a bunch of different factors depending on what clubs you work for sure, and like some will just fly you out, put you up in a hotel and you can fly right back and make a ton of money if they are big enough and like can charge enough in tickets. And I think people, the one the good thing about post COVID, I think people have been so cooped up for a year. They're willing to finally pay to see live entertainment. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Um, but like there's other, like other uh, random associated costs, like the rental cars are costing more than the flights themselves. Like once you get into the city. So like you, it's cheaper. I was shocked. I went on a I went on a holiday recently and the price of the rental car, it was like, um, you know, that's not okay. No. And then she, she said, we got $100 security on the key or something. She says, is that all right? I said, no, but fine. Just get me out of this yeah. airport. We got a $200 security on any damage. I said, or something, some sort of weird damage clause. I said, yeah. well, we, we do have, um, I, I'm sure we have insurance between the two of us. Yeah, I just couldn't believe like the numbers um, this lady in this yeah, example. Right. Yeah, I said it's, it's not. A, it's definitely not all right. Yeah, it's a sign that things are wrong. In fact, it's a anyway, indicator of doom. So, talking about holidays, you were thinking of coming down to Australia. Oh, can I give you the in? Can I give you the insiders' um, uh, goss on this vast country? Yeah, give me give me the. Where local were you thinking? Number. Where were you thinking of going? 
we were going to go um, Sydney, Melbourne, and then probably Great Barrier Reef. That is good. That is a good option. Yeah, I like so that. I yeah. I made my first trip up to the Great Barrier Reef last month. I'm not tradi- traditionally gone north uh, very much. But um, we wanted a, like a little mini break and um, I said, I want to go to the proper tropics because a lot of Australia, you get to the coast and it, it looks a bit tropical, you know, because mm-hmm. um, of the ocean breeze and all that sort of thing. And uh, I said, I want to go to the proper tropics. And the wife said, well, let's go to Great Barrier Reef. I said, right, you're on. So we went up to uh, Port Douglas, which is near Cairns, which is a name that you may have heard. And it was lovely up there and um, did not get eaten by a crocodile <laughs> or killed by a box jellyfish. So swimming <laughs> swimming is treacherous, but there's yeah, lots we, of pools. Yeah, we, we, we noticed that or we heard that like we, we would have gone in November of this year mm. and that's like right when the box jellyfish season starts. Uh, mm. So or I, I, get, I, get, I don't know if it's specifically the box jellyfish, but the, like the tiny microscopic ones that sting you and kill you. Yeah, they're, they're, they're buggers of things. And they can get through the jellyfish nets. They tell you that. They're very happy about oh. just giving you the facts. Well, that's good. <laughs> There's no lie in the disclaimer, no false advertising. Don't, wait, are there sea crocodiles? Yes. Oh, they, they no. don't. Cro- cro- they um, crocodiles would probably take me to task about this. They crocodiles they roam around. They they like to roam, and um, so they'll they'll have they'll have one area of estuary that they'll yeah. hang out in. But then, yeah. for some unknown reason, but they know they'll then come out of the estuary, swim in the free ocean, and um, and obviously looking for food, I guess, or mates or something like that. And if they come across a human splashing around, sure, why not? Let's yeah. have a have a bite of that. Are they less discerning than sharks? Like they're more dangerous? Like, because sharks don't, aren't necessarily targeting humans, but like, do you? Yeah. Like, you know, we'll see the crocodiles will, will lie in very shallow water waiting for an animal to come down and put its head in the water to have a drink. Now, animals don't drink seawater. Um, but I think they've learned over time that humans and, and dogs and stuff do like to splash around and. And we went on, went on a train up there and the uh, train driver told me, you know, just reminded us to be careful swimming because the guy got um, taken by the head the other day, but he survived. Oh, oh So he was sw- obviously swimming in sort of more or less swum straight into the mouth of a, of a crocodile, but survived in this case. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, when I was Yeah, it sort of makes you think. Certainly, I was terrified of the sharks as a, the prospect, but I knew that they weren't necessarily targeting me. Now that I know mm. that there's, you know, these bloodthirsty reptiles swimming in and out of fresh and salt water like uh, shapeshifters, yeah. I, I got to be more on my my flippers here, my toes. <clears throat> Some people wouldn't even, you know, yeah, it's pleasurable to walk along the beach, and you, yeah. you know, you say, well. You make a decision, you're saying, well, look, I'm going foot deeper, I'm going, you know, I'm going mid-carve. You make this decision in your head, but no one at all going going deeper than foot deep. We went we went foot deep, and um, some people wouldn't even come near the, the edge of the ocean. Like That's in, crazy. This beautiful beach 
for miles and miles and miles with not one single solitary person swimming. Man, Loads of people walking, enjoying. Yeah. I mean, like, I think I feel like they should ought to like um, send out a test, like a like a robot monkey or something like that, to like splash around and see if there's anything mm. that's biting. You know, just to yes. clear the clear the uh, beach of any suspicion. So we we got uh, got the boat out to a to a reef so we could do some snorkeling, and that, and that was a that was amazing. No crocodiles out there, um, some sharks. But mainly little reef sharks, mm-hmm. and uh, saw some turtles, and obviously saw lots of fish, and it was magical, John. I know you're going to come now. Oh yeah, I mean, as you describe it, I mean, how can I, how can I resist the <laughs> the dangers lurking uh, more than a foot off the coast? <laughs> and, uh, and 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 culturally, for your for the your southern leg, your trip, you, you get Sydney, you get Melbourne, you pretty much got the lot, unless you oh, have yeah. interest in, in Tasmania. Oh really? Is it is that a good uh, spot? Well, my wife, my wife's been, but I've oh, I was going to say I've never been, but I used to live there for a year. But I was only a baby. But um, I mm. I remember I don't remember enjoying it or, or otherwise. Yeah. I have a quick question. What yes. like is there a significant enjoyment difference between snorkeling and scuba diving? I'm, I've never scubed. Um, but you, I mean, you can go down, can't you? But if you're quite fit, you can go down snorkeling too. Yeah, just hold your breath. So, how many reef? How much reef action have you had? Well, I, I went uh, scuba. I, I am scuba certified, but my fiance is not. So, it, like, we were wondering if she could, like, she should get certified before going. But like, it's kind of a lot of work and money to like even just be. You know, Honestly. essentially learn to keep breathing the whole time and not to sprint yeah. up to the surface. But the last time I'd I'd been on a reef um, was in Fiji, and um, technology had come quite a long way. And we literally just a local said, "Hey, do you want to see a want to go out to the reef?" And we were, "Yeah, yeah." So we went on literally a catamaran, like that your mm-hmm. uncle uncle might have, <laughs> mm-hmm. out to the reef, and it was moderately hazardous. And uh, you know, and um, it was all—it was all a bit, uh, you know, all a bit loosey goosey. But this was a lot different. We went on a huge, big catamaran out to a huge pontoon, mm. and um, and then um, it, the the area that you should snorkel in was roped off, and there was plenty to see. You couldn't oh, you right. couldn't see, and uh, I would say um, your fiance will be more than happy. With with a few hours of, of snow, she'd probably see everything. She might see a shark. She might see a turtle. She's going to see a lot of fish. Nice. Hopefully, hopefully not chased by a sea snake, which happened to me once. Oh, geez, yeah, that's terrifying. That's uh, all of the the land reptiles in America are apparently also attacking the sea in Australia. That's terrible. It's so scary. Yeah, uh, I actually uh, have a silly. Uh, background with catamarans as well i i worked in san diego i'm from san diego as, as yeah. you're aware um and in in mission bay there there was a hotel on the shore that i used to work on the dock that would rent boats it was actually called the catamaran uh hotel and as the name would suggest they rented catamarans um and i could you know if you worked there you could take them out for fun on your days off 
And I uh, took a, a date on a catamaran who was like, oh, I've heard of catamarans. I've heard they're really fun and, and good. I'd love to go with you. So I figured she knew what they did. Um, but those unfamiliar with the catamaran might not realize that they're not super stable um, as a, as a you know, regular sailboat might be where you can just kind of sit down and lay out, which was like, which was her plan. So she just was on this like, you know, tarp between the taunt pontoons, <clears throat> hoping to get a nice tan. And, and, uh, I was like, oh, all right, you ready? And I, you know, began to catch some wind. And then as you know, you can get speed, those, those, uh, little tarps become a bit of a catapult. So I, uh, accidentally flung my date into the water. Um, and I looked back and all I could see coming out of the water was a middle finger. <laughs> so nice. And then I had to swing around and get her and apologize. Yeah. So uh, you, you, have, you, got, you got a sailing background or did you? Uh, just, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't like super into it, but yeah, I, I could, I could do take the small catamarans and boats out in, in like bays, not necessarily the ocean, but yeah. Um, yeah. I like sailing. It's fun. What's the worst thing? I guess the tipping over. I mean, it's rare, but it happened. That's the worst thing that can happen, right? In a in a sailboat. Is Generally, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, especially if it's like a not a tiny one, like the the little sabots and and very small catamarans. You can just like flip them over for fun, almost to like you know see how how fast you can get before flipping over. And they're just like a little bathtub, and you can just flip them back, and then you bail out, and you're fine. But yeah, there's some larger ones that that would be probably the worst thing and very life threatening. <laughs> so, to be avoided if possible. I fear the ocean in general. Yeah, well, it's terrifying. You still love the offspring? Do I still have the offspring? I mean, I don't listen to them quite regularly, but they hold a special place in my heart for sure. Did you did you hear the uh, podcast I did with where I described my love? No, for them? I was just listening to a little bit. And um, and I thought the offspring, the offspring. Um, yeah, they've got to be some people's favorite bands. I don't mean that they're your favorite band, but I certainly enjoyed them in the, I want to say mid to late nineties. Oh yeah, they they were um, my favorite band when I in the mid nineties when I was at Institute. You know, you got to they they captured a certain energy for the the prepubescent male that I feel like resonated pretty pretty steadily probably still rings true today what's the lead singer's name dexter holland that's right the two things that's always um always remember the offspring is dexter does 17 or something takes of the same vocal to make it so thick that's the Mm. thing that people would always say and the other thing is if you if you thought Dexter was stupid, he's not. He's in Mensa or something like that. So oh, that's yeah. yeah, you're always surprised about it. He's <laughs> like a secret genius. I wouldn't be surprised. I think he also like, has some, some crazy line of hot sauces or something. Right. Say hot pockets, hot sauces. Like oh, he, right, it's his like own chili sauce, um, which is impressive. I'm always curious to see who's got the culinary passions. That are known for other things. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, I actually, uh, Offspring kind of remind me of what I thought. Like they have a certain t- twang that like kind of reminds me of Australia. Plus, they have like that punk vibe that yeah. I somehow still associate with uh, Australia. Oh, they were massive. Here. They were massive, and yeah. uh, lots of good songs, lots to enjoy there. 
what about would you ever do a hot what, what would be your choice of you know the 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 zelay would you go with a hot sauce i mean there's a lot of hot sauces yeah i mean i'm a big fan of the habanero pepper hmm which is among the hotter ones. It's not like the, uh, certainly there's the, uh, there's a Carolina Reaper and the um, Scotch Blossoms and stuff, but I, I love a habanero. They're like very hot, but uh, they have a, like, it's kind of a delayed reaction where like, you know, <clears throat> you can taste it as spicy at first and then like a couple seconds go by and then you just really get punched in the face with the, with the, with the heat and then, but it's also got a great flavor that I really enjoy. So I, whenever I make like a chili or, you know, uh, certain Mexican dishes, I will add a little habanero in there. So if I was making a hot sauce, I think I would absolutely incorporate the habanero. Fantastic. What do we got? What can we buy? That's John Ozelay branded. Is there uh, anything that is it people want to throw a few bucks yeah. at you they could do? Yeah. yeah. My, um, my album, uh, snake oil, which means I am a snake oil salesman by trade mm. a little bit, um, is, uh, is available on anywhere you could buy albums. You know, the, the, I don't think they even have iTunes anymore, but Apple music, Google music, all the places it's available through the comedy dynamics was the record label I did. I'm actually also releasing or going to be recording a new album this fall in Colorado, a really cool club called Fort comedy in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, so I'll be, recording and probably be available early 2022 um i will be recording my sophomore album uh and i was actually supposed to record it in april 2020 but there's a little snafu uh, (laughs) the world decided i didn't have enough material yet so i delayed it but yeah i it snake oil it's uh you know that's my one piece of merch that I still sell and it's the one John is branded material. I think it all still holds up. I'm guessing. No, that's I'll, hilarious. Thanks. I, would, uh, I listened to uh, most of it and it's really, really funny. You've obviously been working on that one for a while. It's really well crafted. Oh yeah. That was, that was, that was my first album. So it was like the in- entirety of my material, best material up until that point. And uh, I've probably been doing comedy about 10 years or so. Yes. Is, is there some jokes that you just can't let go from the early days or, you know, we did decided that. Um, oh, I mean, all my, my, the new album that I'm doing will have none of the same hmm. material or for jokes, but like it will have some of the same themes because like the, the part of my background that is sort of informs a lot of my comedy, as you're aware, is my hmm. science background because I was a neuroscientist. So like I view the world through this lens of having known science for so long. And that will, you know, I, it kind of informs how I view jokes and society and my, my sort of, you know, social commentary, if you will, is uh, grounded in my background. Uh, we should let you go in a minute, but I, I want to say, you know, dr- drug addiction, people are often, you know, surprised that people get it, some people get addicted to drugs. I, I never am. I think, you know. Your brain wants the drugs, and if you if you're genetically set up in a way, you know that's it. Yeah, no, is that how a, it works? A, a little bit. So, like drug addiction, I feel like is the the I learned so much because that was why my um, field of study within neuroscience was drug addiction, and 
I think that if society understood how drug addiction worked, you know, from a psychological neuroscience perspective, they'd be a little bit, have a little more grace for people who are addicted because it's not, you know, it's not a character failing or anything like that. It's, it's all, you know, like these neurological mechanisms that make you compulsive that are controlled by things like genetics and like your environment. And the way to treat it is like also a little bit less intuitive. Like it's not just to punish them. Like, like, Oh, if you don't, if you take drugs, we'll send you to jail for 10 years. It's like to, you know, have environmental enrichment is, is one of the things they said, like where you can, you know, I say rats and, and, and drugs as one does, uh, there was lab rats as, as the stereotype goes, but yeah, like it, there was a famous experiment even that they showed that like, if a rat had access to play equipment and social interaction, it was less likely to go for drugs. So like the way it's almost more a prevention measure where it's like, if you want to treat, stop drug uh, drugs from coursing through the streets, maybe like build a, a playground and like help give food support and like plant trees, all, all the things that would make the natural reward mechanisms in your brain already light up. So they'd be less, susceptible to being lit up by you know those substances you would take or release that's amazing that's fantastic i agree with all of that um well we're gonna let john azalei go he's a fantastic comedian uh by his album um 40 apparently 43 percent of my listeners are in america so oh. look if you're in the area yeah uh, go and go and see Jono. he's hilarious i can guarantee you he's got my bam stamp of approval you're going to have a fun time uh very very funny you don't move around a lot legendarily like that won't offend you no so, no. so if you used to one of those comedians say hey and they're running stage hey let me tell you or you don't rag on people with a bad shirt in the front row either i don't think yeah i, I stay in the pocket as the court uh, <laughs> football reference might go yeah i'm a I'm, I pretty much plant my feet and tell jokes, and they're, uh, you know, they vary in style and, and silliness. But yeah, I'm not super mobile on stage. Um, but yeah, I do travel to, del to tell them, this, so there's that. So yeah, you check out my website, johnozalay.com, yes, and I'll have my whole show schedule. Yeah, there are loads of shows there. Uh, follow him on Twitter because he's always fun. And we'll say thank you very much, John Ozalay. Thank you so much, Dan. Listeners, an emergency over at the David Huntsberger property where an, there's been an emulsion disaster. Tell us all about it, Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, we I'm get, I haven't been printing at all during the um, pandemic. And uh, a friend brought over a screen already coated with emulsion, which if you're familiar with screen printing is dicey. It's, it's difficult to transport. And I think he did a pretty good job. It was, um, it seemed to be... Uh, still uh, accepting the photo chemical change that goes on, but we had to guess at the amount of exposure time to the light. And uh, we got very close. We guessed th like 3.30, three minutes and 30 seconds. Mm. And it was just a shade too much. So we overcooked it just a bit. Whoa. And uh, I know, so it ended up, you have to spray it really hard in that case to try to get it to, to get on out of there. And it just, was too much it blew it out what what must have that drive been like is it is it gun hour in la on the on the freeways 
<laughs> oh, he was, uh, I'm in my home. So he was, he brought his stuff over to, uh, to my, are you asking what was the gun? Well, mic? didn't he have the emulsioned, uh, frame oh, sitting on his yeah. lap all the way while he was trying to shoot out someone's tires who swerved into his lane or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, was, he was in minimal shootouts on the way over, which was fortunate because, you know, the saying with this town, it's like a minimum to shootout drive anywhere you go. And he, you, he avoided all shootouts, which is unheard of. Are you aware of the comedian Nick Turner? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Nick has a great joke, one of my favorites, I think about from time to time, about being in the backseat. And he, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable when couples start arguing. Hmm. And he likes to jump in there. And <laughs> he does this thing where he's listening to the argument. And then he starts yelling, but he fake takes off earrings. He goes, you know what? You don't listen, Karen. <laughs> and I just think it's so silly that he takes off his like clip-on earrings as if he's going to, like as if he's, I guess in this scenario, like kind of a catty lady who's going to fight Karen or just a gentleman who wears clip-on earrings that is prepared to take a punch from Karen. Nick is not fussy who he fights. Uh <laughs> In my conversation with him, he's happy to take all comers. Yeah. and uh, But we're not like that. We're no, pacifists. No, we're, we're softies. We're gentlemen. Sure. I don't want to end up with some sort of weird brain aneurysm from getting punched, nor do I want to give someone one of those. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, what's been up? Is this special going to, oh, sorry, is the presenter going to come out soon? I've got to tell people it's a comedy special, though, just so they understand. It, yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I just so, uh, I just think that term is so stupid. It's just, it's comedy and special sounds like such a, like a critical, important word. I'm making a special. And uh, I think comedy should have silly, stupid names. And so... I think Presento's funnier, but I'm looking at your computer in the background and I rented a similar machine as far as shape, but it had uh, an outrageous amount of RAM and a pretty good graphics card. And so to work on the final steps in 4K was just a delight because that machine could just churn through it. So little things I had to change in After Effects and or if I had to, I could let the I don't know how much editing you've done, but like when you're playing stuff back on the timeline, sometimes you have to reduce the resolution because hmm. either, you know, your processor or the graphics card or something's having a difficult time processing yeah. that I mean, huge 4k files. And the machine I rented could just jam through it at full resolution. And so it was really, really nice. And so that's a, something in life that I'd like to add to my existence is a fast machine like that. Yeah. Our machines are becoming um, obsolete here. They still look good. They look great. Yeah. But they're not coping anymore. And it uh, looks like I'm due for an upgrade. Tech Talk with Dave and Dan. So <laughs> I think I got, I got a 2000 and toward this one is a, I think it's a 2012 iMac that's had a new uh, hard drive put in it. Um, 
just a generic one. So it whizzes away like crazy. You can't you and you can't have record audio within ten feet of it. Yeah. And this See, one. See now you got to move up hmm. to a solid state drive, nice and quiet. And yeah, I know. It, I have a similar thing. Mine's probably a 2013, so right around that same era. Yeah. And uh, yeah, how quickly it changes. And like when I got mine, it was like a Ferrari. I could chew through yeah. uh, any me- media that I was using at the time. And now editing my Presento uh, took quite a while. And it wasn't just so much because of the like physical, like hardware limits. It was, I had to learn a lot of the software and I don't know when the last time you had to like venture into mm. web design or if you think of all the things you know how to do here with just mm. the mic setup and mm. the audio software you're running and mm. knowing how to navigate through it, you know, people that don't know how to do that just think it's like some sort of wizardry because, and I don't know if that's a thing where as we get older in life, we're just way more reticent to when you're learning, you're essentially admitting you're kind of dumb. You're going, I don't know that. And it's embarrassing to go, I, I don't know this. So mm. you have to consistently be like, I don't know this. And then move forward one increment to go, oh, now I, I know that part, but I don't know the next part. And then pretty soon you you have a vague understanding of it. But mm. most of the tutorials I watched were from your young business. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, they, you know, that's such a generic thing that older people say of like, wow, you you kids were raised with technology. You you It's in your blood. I just feel like when you're young and you're excited to search stuff out, you're unaware of any level of ignorance you have. So you're, you're I was totally, I was totally happy to blow a day just mucking around with a bit of software. Um, not uh-huh. too many years ago, but I'm not happy these days. But I do need to, like, I'm I'm vi- I'm cutting clips from my from my interviews, and I'm cutting it on, like, I don't know what version of iMovie but not a very recent movie. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how clean and, and nice you do it. It just doesn't look right. You put it up on YouTube yeah. and it just, I just don't know why it doesn't look right, but it just doesn't look right. But anyway, I mean, these clips aren't for the ages. They're, um, they're, they're for fun. And, yeah. um, and even my old, my old, you know, my old clips from 10 years ago, I mean, it's still the same content. It's still hilarious content. <laughs> I made yeah. a face there for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, it is kind of silly to... I, I feel like people that shot stuff on film, if nothing else, you can always go back through and like re reuse the film. And it has a limited mm-hmm. time. It can be played and exposed to light and it wears down. And so maybe digital is the same way, but it definitely feels like if you think of early digital cameras and 3.2 megapixels, if you look at those now and you try to blow it up on something and it just looks so grainy, you're like, dang it, this was someone's memory. This was a, a thing that at one point on a certain screen with certain resolution looked pretty good. Yeah. And then as we get toward uh, you know the uncanny valley or whatever that thing is where our eyes have met technology. So like 4K TVs that kind of curve a little and yeah. still seeing inconsistencies or, or things in it where you're like, no, this isn't good enough. I, I don't know. I, I do kind of like yeah. when the the shittiness of the resolution takes you back a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, this feels like 1987. This, this feels like old, crappy 8-bit graphics. Kelsey Grammer falling off the stage while he's carrying on like a jerkwad is very grainy and it's as hilarious as the first day I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, just for, that's thing. just one example. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you don't need everything to be in 4K. But nowadays, you know, trying to make something, I definitely couldn't let myself fall into that. Like, eh, it's only going to be streamed. Eh, people are mostly going to be watching it just on like computer screens. I shouldn't care. Yeah. You definitely try to, what if, you know, people did see it on a bigger screen? You want it to mm. look as good as possible. It's challenging though. You're a perfectionist. I'm not afflicted with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is the right thing. Because if you saw virtually every single thing I've ever made, I could point out so many errors. And I don't think many perfectionists. Can you name your first three friends that would be, that would contact you after they seen a discrepancy with something that, say, went to Netflix or something? Because that'd be exciting, right? If something went to Netflix. Oh, yeah. And you're saying like friends of mine who would call me and say, yeah. hey, man, watch your thing. And like, I don't know if you're aware, but this frame, this happens. But sort of only in a half nice way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My friend Matt, who did the visual effects for this, or a lot of them, uh, mm. would be a gentle, he's a sweetheart. He'd be such mm. a sweetie about it. But he would also go like, dude, why didn't you ask me for help with that? I, I could have made mm -hmm. that so much better. And I go, eh. And then Just my life. Being, can you why, why don't you stop being stupid for ten minutes? <laughs> to tap out an email. <laughs> yeah, which is which you know with making this, it was just like uh, kind of lucky in a way where people had downtime during the pandemic and they wanted to do something creative, and so most of it was like, "Hey, I have time on my hands. I'm happy to help. Let me know if you need something." But you can only really go to that so many times if people like aren't getting back to you and you can't be tapping your foot hey what's going on so no. there are plenty of times where um someone would you know offer it something like that but then i would i would just feel so bad about like trying to rush them or you know checking in that i would end up kind of learning the how to make a generic version of what they were trying to do yeah because these days they could be <clears throat> Making that, making sure a loved one's ventilator mask is <laughs> has got a good seal while yeah. they're try, where they're trying to text you back, you know. So you just never know where yeah. people are, and because that's yeah. a dark vision, uh, I'm not. No, but but you know, it's like, a truth. It's so easy. I think a lot of people are going to have this thing where they look back and wonder where a lot of the time went during the pandemic. Like, man, yeah. I didn't read as many books as I thought, or I didn't write the book I thought I would write. And then you forget that like a lot of people were kind of just paralyzed with that, the, the fear of that happening to someone or genuinely dealing with that. I mean, here mm. we had social justice protests and racial inequality protests and things that really took people's full focus. And mm. so like the people I was working with are mostly artists, you know, I feel like no one was involved in those protests more than artists because they have to feel, they have to be uh, empathetic more so than maybe you're, the people that were out storming, like, let me get back to installing cabinets in people's houses. I don't know that they have the same level of like, oh, man, I know how that feels. I'm there for you. Yeah, it's tricky with, uh, you know, paying your mortgage and all that sort of stuff. Let's not get into that. So we're we still running <laughs> with um, Big Nothingness as a name. Yeah, yeah, Big Nothingness, which um, I, I uh, there's a... A little uh, tip of the cap within that title, but I uh, I think when you watch it, it ha it it, um, it makes sense. It sounds like such an absurd title. It sounds very like if you saw a book with that, the back 
jacket would have someone like staring out into the distance or something. Mm. But I think when you watch it, you're like, oh, it's silly. And, you know, it's not so, it doesn't take itself very seriously. No, I it's hope. a great show. I've seen it. Not too many other people have. It's fantastic. Very funny. A billion and four cuts. Um, so you had fun with that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of edits, lots of uh, cuts. But uh, um, it's how many how many months or years in the making has, has that one been? Because we, we've been chatting about it for a while. I always, when I was being a full-time comedian, which I don't always feel is the case um, year in and year out, you know, there were definitely years. Where, and what I mean by that is like, finishing one gig, going home, doing some laundry, going right to another one for like months, if not years on end of, you know, having, having downtime certainly, but mm. never more than maybe like three weeks or a month. And then a bunch, you know, just always on a stage. And I remember then thinking like, man, I'll be recording albums every year or two. And you'd run into people that were a bit older and then you'd see them down the road and they would be doing word for word, basically the exact same act. And I would think, oh, that's, that's such a bummer. Like, what if no, I Dave, that's got... how you get good. Yeah, I mean, there is <laughs> a value to knowing, <laughs> you know, this it. old school. If you go see Jay Leno, yeah. you will be like, well, I don't like Jay Leno as a person. Say you're this person. Whether, regardless of how you feel about Jay Leno, yeah, sure. let's just assume for this example, you're someone that has negative feelings. And you'll go watch him do stand-up. And even if the material isn't for you, you'll watch and be like, this is really well done. This is so, like, precise. He knows the language, the words, the body movement, but he's been doing it like in a rote fashion that way for ages. I mean, it just, he never releases any of it. He goes and does Vegas and he does like this act. So there is some value in having an act that like, you know, if you and I were putting together an exhibit or some sort of a, come on down to Dan and Dave's old West show, we'd want mm. you to be in your little cart going through our thing seeing everything play out exactly as we wanted it to. We wouldn't want to see a gunfighter come out and go, oops, line, I forgot. We'd want them to go, stick them up at the exact right moment. And because that's kind of what stand-up is to most people. It's a thing to check off their list. Like, well, we went and did Splash Mountain and we went to the Old West show and we went and saw a stand-up show. They, It's only comedy nerds that watch comedy and then go watch it again the next night and judge a comedian based on those two differences. Yeah. Most people are not doing that. And so yeah. I cut these older dudes some slack later down the road because maybe they were working on something. I don't think they were. For me, it was just, I wasn't doing a ton of gigs and therefore I'd have to keep working on this material. And I wasn't, it wasn't like people were throwing offers at my door to like Netflix or something to, hey, churn out this material. So I started it basically right after One Headed Beast and then just kept sort of changing it and tweaking it. For, that's been like six or seven years now. And that's just incomprehensible to me that it took so long. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at a One Headed Beast clip or some animation or something the other day, just smashed itself into my feed somewhere <laughs> and uh and I, and then i you know considered the time and i thought oh my gosh time is really flying by but do you know that word for word um comedy show thing or you know mm -hmm. that's directly borrowed from like pop music because you know what's what's the most fun about doing a pop show 
having have already done a pop show and then going on to you know, going on to oh, party. Sure. So what's the quickest way to get from A to B, B being the fun bit? You know, when you're doing hundreds a year and stuff like that. I'm talking about in the 60s and stuff like that. <laughs> and and so I think as as uh, stand-up comedy evolved and, it, you know, when did it really come into its own? Late 60s, 70s, I reckon. That's when it was really started yeah. to be a big thing. And then they just said, you know, this is the way to do it, to get to the A to the B. Now, I don't think Jay Leno's doing a lot of partying after the show. He doesn't really seem like the type, but he, he's, he still wants to get from A to B. And yeah. um, the money, money, as we know, is neither here nor there for him. So, um, you know, he still wants to do it, but he, he doesn't want any, he doesn't want an A.3 or, you know, he doesn't want, he doesn't want a problem between A and B. So yeah. I can see his point. And I'm um, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just feel as though like people, um, people wonder why people do that, and I think it's a very common showbiz furrow to plow. Do it, try and do it absolutely perfect. Something's probably going to go wrong anyway, or wrongish. Certainly with a musical performance, and um, and get get to the B, so you can get to the C, which is the next gig, with the yeah. least amount of fuss. <laughs> I think um, about the psychology or the human mind of, uh, you know, trying to create anything, but specifically mm. stand up and like, it's such a weird compulsion to want to get on stage in front of strangers, um, but like woodworking, screen printing, um, just as two examples, things we've already kind of talked about a little, uh, say you're screen printing a poster it's everything that a human brain likes, I think in some way can be compared to puzzle solving. Mm. So screen printing, you have a design, you sketch it out, you kind of like it in pencil, you ink it, you then make that a transparency, which is locked in that ink. And therefore, if you burn it onto a screen, everything you pull through it, all the ink you pull through can only go in a certain way. As you do in multiple layers, you really get focused on what are the margins between these colors? You know, I want there to be a one pixel difference for the length of this paper in an S curve. When you get that, when you pull the second color and that line is exactly how you want it, there's this weird little dopamine thing in a human brain. There's that when you're cutting wood and you have two pieces that are supposed to fit together and they fit perfectly. Mm -hmm. Stand up is like that in a way where you imagined it, you thought it out, you wrote it, but the the lifting up of the screen and or the fitting together of the wood pieces is only when you're on stage and you tell it. So mm. some people look at it as like, I got to do all this work to get that lift up feeling. Some people go and do like a fully improvised thing to be like, mm. oh, I'm kind of in the shop, just cutting wood and seeing like what sticks to what. And that can be really fun and refreshing and like a relief also because you don't have the stress of, man, I put so much thought into these pieces fitting if they fit randomly and accidentally because I was improving, fantastic. But when I've put all this time and effort in, I really need these pieces yeah. to fit. And so that's how a laugh feels from a, a crowd of strangers. It's just, it's such a unique puzzle piece, I guess. That'd be my thought on why people do it. Absolutely. But you, uh, you out on the road, you'll do a, a little out of column A, a little out of column B, I guess you got to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's even when I was like, some of this material became fairly rote. 
or worked in, you know, and you just, it's in, it's inevitable, you know, like playing music, you get to a certain spot in the song, maybe you do the same, like, whatever you do, mm. you dance the same way, you shake your head the same way, you do something where like, I always find myself during this particular spot, mm. that's when I look over here, that's when I point to someone, whatever it is. Stand-up kind of has that, and it feels annoying, you know, people work against that, of like, okay, today when I do this joke, I'm going to not turn to my right, I'm going to turn to my left. But at some point you go, who cares? I'm just always turn right. It's easier to remember things like that. And mm. then you can have shows where you're kind of locked in, but it is nice to mix in some column B where you're just goofing around. That's, that's Thinking sure. about comedy, you know, uh, through our chats over the years, I'll always try and introduce a joke into your set. I'm not sure any have got through. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe who knows maybe i just thought about one about water bottles about uh yeah just water bottles right that's what you oh, call yeah. call this a water bottle i'm holding in my hand and i think you know maybe they should in workplaces where there's lots of people working when if that ever happens again they should have a little urine tester for water bottles so even the least liked person in the office can test that no one's peed in their water bottle. What do you think? Is that funny? <laughs> I think it's so sad that you have that thought that you're like worried about. I left my water bottle. I bet someone peed in it. I bet someone in this cubicle setting came by and doused a little pee into my water bottle. I mean, is that a problem yeah. that's happening? Well, I've just taken it over from bars to um, workplaces because it certainly happens in bars <laughs> <laughs> or like hot tubs yeah it would be nice if uh aren't there things in pools now where if you pee it like makes a blue cloud around you I think that's been around for a while yeah yeah so that does exist for a long time that felt like it was a myth just to keep kids from peeing like hey there'll mm. be this squid like ink thing that appears around you yeah. and then if you ever uh, had to pee in the pool as a kid and you just like test out a little bit and look down and like, okay, there's, there's no ink thing. I'm doing it. You know, uh, that that's. It's just know, part of being a modern human is there's an amount of pee in a pool. There's an amount of rat feces in processed foods. There's a third example. Yeah. You know, giving you the Andy Kindler. <laughs> but why, why would your water bottle have urine? Is it your own urine or, or a coworker came by and pranked you? The, you're the worst. You're the worst in the office. <laughs> There's always a worst. And if you don't know who the worst is, you're the worst. Yeah. Um, and, a and classic structure. Andy Kendler would hate that. No, he, yeah. no he's, a, he's a jazz performer. He's, he's my he, three, he's, three main jazz performers, jazz comedians I, 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 I love. Andy Kindler, no, no, in no order. Andy Kindler, uh, Kurt Brownola, Dave Hill. Not, not a bad rogues gallery, are they? Yeah, I would, uh, I would recommend of the um, out Rory, there dudes. Rory Scovel just did a thing on uh, YouTube called "Live Without Fear," and if you like um, fully improvised stuff, I, I think you'll like that one. Hmm. Well, we'll look up Rory, uh, but we should talk to Dave more about, is that the scene of the crime behind you where the bicycles got stolen? Yeah. Okay to talk about that. (laughs) It's a sore subject. It always will be. I, over time of like, I guess come to grips with it as everyone does having suffered some sort of a- talk about major trauma. 
It's a trauma. It traumatized. I put so much time and effort into those bikes. I can tell you every part and the story behind every, how every part came into my life. And I like having things like that in my life where I didn't just click on eBay or Amazon and get this. I slowly put it together. And I don't know why I like that. I think when I was a kid, there's this movie called The Dirt Bike Kid with Mm. um, Ralphie from The Christmas Story, Peter Billingsley. And uh, there's just something about any little thing that you have, like cleaning it up, taking care of it, especially if you take it apart, it's broken, you fix it. Think about like a bird that you bring in and you fix its wing. Mm. You have a weird connection with that bird forever. Inanimate objects can be relatively similar. So I lose my bikes. But now I think I know who took them. I have a lead, at least. I have a lead. And there's, it's such a dumb story, but we, we take walks in the same area frequently. And mm-hmm. at one point there was this bike with like a spray painted tire and rim sitting outside of a fence, like in the sidewalk area. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go over to someone's house and you rode your bike there, you pull your bike in their yard, right? You don't just leave it out on the sidewalk. Well, I'm from the country, but in the city, if I was riding around, I would, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. If you're if you're in a, a more uh, urban setting. And yep. when I got home and found that my bikes were stolen, there was a little bike uh, in front, like leaned against our garage. and Like so a swap the, out. They did a swap out. They uh-huh. rode this shitty little bike, and then they took off on my bike, or bikes, this is plural. Hmm. And uh, so I see this bike with a spray painted back tire and I'm, I just stopped there for a second. Like, this is so weird. Why is this here? No one that's like into drugs, no matter how tripped out they are, just leaves a bike like this. So I don't think much, I think about it, but I just decide like, well, whatever we walk on. Then later, either that day or the next evening, I'm driving around the neighborhood. I see a dude walking that bike with the paint spray painted rim and another bike he's walking because he has two bikes and he's walking them along that just seems so odd to me and he has those slider kind of flip-flops on so that sticks out and then like a week ago i'm walking along i know a few days ago i'm walking along and i look over there's this dude who i recognize from the bike with the spray painted tire and the slider shoes just sitting on the corner, just sitting on the curb with that bike laying next to him. Why you do you the same the bike or different bike? It's the it's the spray painted tire bike. Oh yeah, okay. Oh, that's why you can. The, yeah, okay. I, I knew the manufacturer. Can. I made a point to like, who makes this bike? I took it in. I knew the spray paint color, the tire. This is that bike. And so this guy, same guy with the slide shoes, is just sitting there. If you mm. live in the neighborhood, why are you outside sitting on the curb? No one does that. You, you put a chair on your front porch, or even if you don't have a porch, you might just put it on your own curb. You don't go sit on the corner by the fire hydrant. No one does that. So this guy is clearly just waiting for someone to pull out of their driveway. He just sits and scouts out the neighborhood. Someone leaves, and that's what happened with me. I left. I was gone an hour and a half, two hours, two bikes mm-hmm. stolen. So he was somewhere around. I'm so certain it was this guy. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask, you know, what sort of block perimeter? Are you yeah. sure that those bikes aren't still around? But um, he's obviously, uh, you know, if it's this guy, he's obviously got a good system in place and then, and then the bikes go way out of the area. 
obviously. The system bugs me because well, he's just got a big he's just got a big shed with like four hundred bikes in it, which would sort of be cool in a way. There's this collection <laughs> of tents in an alley, and there's always bike parts around it. And I think they've just built like a little chop shop. Yeah. And they live in tents, steal bikes, chop them up, buy drugs, yeah. and repeat sure. as needed. And Just don't get stabbed over the bikes. So I'm urging I you. I won't, but I do. I now I have a lot of hypothetical scenarios where I catch this dude, involve <laughs> sure. the police, and get justice. I'll probably never get my bikes back. But what I would love is to see him. So say I stop that day that he's there, that I see the bike leaned out against the tree. Hmm. I stop, I wait 20 feet away, and I just perch. Now he comes out of that same yard with a bike, and I go, I snap a photo with my camera. And I go, hey, man. And he's like, what's up? And I go, your bike? And then he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was stopping to see a friend. I go, great. Yeah, I know Chris. I make it up. I don't know who Chris is. I know Chris. I'm going to pop by later. Yeah, Yeah, I'll show him this photo just just so they know that you you grab the bike. Oh, oh, oh. Or you can put the bike back. It's up to you. Either way, I'm showing Chris, but this guy now knows there's an arc in the area and I'm on him. I'm going to get a long angle lens for my camera and I'm going to start putting together like a, a dossier on this dude and catch him. I wouldn't approach him. A couple of times, a couple of three times in my entire life, I've approached felons. It's escalated so quickly that I've, <laughs> I've been very shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even make a movement with my hand to, to show you how quickly that, that it's gone from um, me uh, chastising this person to being um, in physical danger <laughs> very quickly. So, But anyway, look, you do what you want. Well, uh, I get that long angle lens. I'm in the bushes. That's right. And then you, you take, know, then you take it to the, to the police because they're, they're, they'll be mildly aware of this going on i know they it did won't be top of their job. priorities but they will be aware of it probably i know they wouldn't do shit they were so nice when they took the police report like pretending that they cared yeah. and what they would do and how i should be on the lookout for stuff but i think even if i delivered them a file with step-by-step theft caught in the act they'd be like all right man we'll keep an eye out for him that'd be that there, there would be no justice for this have a slow day they might have a slow day I don't know whether LA cops ever. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous now and saying it out loud. <laughs> yeah, I, numbers are way down. There've been like mass retirements and exits, so that they're, they're like. Oh, before you really go, down. can we talk about um, you getting back into comedy? Have you heard about a lot of retirements of comedians? <laughs> it doesn't matter whether they're young or old. I mean, can you give us the goss? Do you think it's going to change the nature of um, touring comedy and stuff? I think the venues filled back up pretty quickly. And I know for bands, there's like a, a year long waiting list because so many yeah, people but, want to uh, get back out there. And Music ain't going anywhere. Like, yeah, you know, we've got hundreds of years of, of history. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it's here to stay music. Let's, yeah. yeah, let's talk specifically about comedy. I didn't do any Zoom shows. And I know a number of comedians did. And it just felt to me that, like, it's such a, an ephemeral, if not useless form of entertainment. I mean, I don't feel that way, but I feel like the general Mm. public is just as content with a TikTok video as they are spending money to go be in a building where they may or may not like the comedian. So 
if you have a digital following, I suppose it's easier because touring is just a supplemental thing to that mm. to just be out doing the road. I think a lot of, I know several of my friends moved out of Los Angeles. I don't know that that means they stopped doing comedy, but the pursuit of like the traditional, whether that's pitching shows or just trying to be like, you know, in different LA venues and, or, you know, cast and things as an actor like that has definitely taken a hit. A lot of people just took stock of their priorities and were like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need this. And it was already challenging. Now you throw in a pandemic on top of that. It just, I think for a lot of people, they had a lot of time to think. And, but I also think it was a gate open gate closed. I bet a lot of people that were in jobs they didn't like went, you know what? (laughs) Fuck this. I'm going to go do what I always wanted to do. And I'm going to try comedy. So we might have a real interesting crop of new comedians in two, three, four years. I don't know how long it takes people these days to become household names. I think it's a short period of time. I think there's still, after the global financial crisis, there's still parts of America that's fun to live in or okay to live in that is still buy a house for a small amount. Would there still yeah, be? Yeah, those places got absolutely flooded. There were, I'm, I don't know oh. if you've read these stories of no. realtors being like, we got x number of offers and then so many of those offers were above asking price some were just sight unseen cash for thousands tens of thousands of dollars more than the asking price just so low. To yeah and like you know i austin was my home base for so long and it became barraged by los angeles people moving there so it's mm. there's a definite shifting of the landscape i, I couldn't even begin to weigh in and what i think is going to happen but I think comedy will be around. It'll always be changing. I think yeah. it keeps getting more boring and more thoughtless and uh, more just kind of TikTok-ish. More, you know, it's like an extension of Twitter know. in a lot of ways. If it's not TikTok, it's going to be uh, talk tick. Yeah, it's going to be you know the, the next thing. Yeah, and uh, they're going. People are going to come in. I know you're a bit left of center with your you know views on you know general meetings and all that sort of carry on. Um, but, uh, you know, they're just going to have two properties, uh, that's, you know, going to look good and they're going to pick one and not the other because, you know, their, their socials are so much bigger or the other one still might get a green light, but it'll get a much lower budget. And, you know, and, uh, all the, all the best, most fantastic, most amazing ideas are were already taken quite a while ago so it's just sort of variations on, on a theme and who you can who who you can get um on board you know if you can get francis mcdormand obviously you've got a goer yeah <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. I, um, I think it could make for an interesting distribution of talent you know hmm. what is a human some people have no interest in consuming creative output and or making it other people harbor it and never experiment with it their whole life. They just have it in the back of their head. Like, what if I wrote that book? What if I wrote that movie? There are other people at the far end, the, the, the end that you and I would say is the luckiest where like they get to dream it up and make it virtually anything they think of. They can write down, have a crew of trucks and trailers mm. and create what was in their head. You know, that's a slim percentage, but if the rest of the planet that can't get to that level is filming themselves or filming silly things and more and more of those pop up, eventually maybe the whole planet just goes like, oh, that's all it is. No one's particularly talented. It's just a matter of having means to express your own, what Mm. you think is creativity or talent or art. And then you do have Dave Hill and you do have someone who's 
on TikTok. And you and I would have a preference of those too. Hmm. But collectively as a planet, maybe we'd be shocked that like Dave would have X number of views and this character B would have 20 million times that number of views. A crazy yes. disparity. It's thousands and tens of thousands of percents more than some of your, your favorite comedians who are, yeah. you, can, you consider so so talented. But, yeah, you know, I don't know. The more things change, the more they stay the, stay the same. That's an old guy thing to say. <laughs> but, I mean, when you, when, you know, the Beatles were brilliant and they had lots of hits, um, but the Hollies were also very good and they had lots of hits and then they stopped having hits. They had only so many hits. You know, th th that's the way. We're, and then they grind out a career and they've all got yeah. big houses and everyone's happy. So th the talent is such a huge range, you know, and, um, but I don't know, will the will those same TikTokers be around TikTokers be around in, in, in five years? You know, probably not because we know, you know, you know, what, what do you got? Well, you, you know, you got, you put your best dumb crap out there. Um, but there, there'll just be different ones on a different platform, but, Big nothingness is going to come out, and it's going to blitz all that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll. I hope you don't get your hopes up too high. I mean, I put no, a lot no. of time into it, and I, I'm I'm happy with it. I really like it. I think it has some have value. You, but have you got any idea gonna, where we're going to be able to see it? No idea. My guess would be YouTube, but I don't want to be a defeatist, hmm. so I'll I'll try my best to see if someone else likes the potential of it or the idea of it or something, but. No idea where it can be seen. I will keep you posted. I'll I'll, I'll be bugging everyone. I'm sure on social media yep. uh, when it does have a home, just so people know where it is. But no and uh, Dave's got loads of other stuff uh, to look at and listen to. Yeah, I've just made lots and lots of stuff. Hello, robot. Explosion land. I'm going to forget yeah. one. <laughs> One-headed beast. If you'd like yeah. looking at things and listening to things, I mean that yeah. is so much effort went into that. If you paid everyone ten bucks yeah. an hour, would have cost four hundred and fifty <laughs> grand to make, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was real lucky with Professor Blastoff. All those animators just offered to help, and really the only thing I could offer them is they all got a trip to Austin and got to stay a couple nights and see that city. And so a lot of them are in the in the film. Uh, they play the uh, scientists and um, there's a fully animated version that uh, you can find on Vimeo. You have to search one headed beast. It's kind of hard to find on the internet, but that's a more pleasant visual experience, I think, because you're mm. not having to go back and forth between things. You just can kind of zone out and watch some trippy animation and listen to even music. You could just turn my voice off, but the animation is very, very pleasant. Sadly, the two other members of the Professor Blastoff team have sunk without trace. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't even know where to yeah, find. <laughs> hard to find. You could try Netflix and see I, one of the biggest movies, I'm sure, certainly during the pandemic that Netflix has ever released, uh, Army of the Dead. And Tig is so funny in it, as always. Yeah. So highly recommend that. Tig's also got two podcasts. And yeah. Kyle's got his, Kyle Dunnigan has got his stuff on YouTube, which is very funny. And, um, yep. and you've. And an Instagram guy. So everyone's findable. Everyone's uh, out there in the world. Even though it, even though it's still locked behind the paywall, Professor Blastoff. <laughs> yeah, what Let, a bummer. 
let my PB go. <laughs> that's that's what I've I've been hammering on that wall. <laughs> who who owns it now? Does Conan own, would Conan strictly own it? Who owns no, it? I don't think Conan bought it. It went through. I think maybe uh, Scripps owned it. Then I think Audible briefly, and now Sirius XM owns it. So oh, okay, it's okay. Gone I got many confused. layers and levels. Yeah, it's all over the place. So I, I've made an assumption because Conan started his podcast network that he just took everything earwolf. Um, I don't know. We got to oh, check out. We got to check out some of these facts. <laughs> He's just a player in the game over there. There's this band I loved in the early 2000s called Ambulance LTD. And they had a bad record label and never, the record label went bankrupt and kept the rights to all their stuff. And so they were never able to use that name to then record further music. And then they broke up. And so now there's just this one album that exists that I think is just one of the best collections of music put together. And I love it. And, you know, like throughout any era and I know of it. And that's really all that matters. I try to spread the word a little bit like on something like this, but I think Blastoff will kind of be one of those things where as podcasts become more and more and more enormous, it just lives in this weird little place of like, yeah, it sucks. It's behind this paywall. It was pretty cool. It's still, you know, certain things are timely as we mentioned, like the death of Robin Williams or things like that. But overall the subjects you could probably listen to and not realize what year it is, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, you're quite right. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of really uh, time stamp stuff in there that I can think of. Probably just yeah. tech things or, or references to like check us out on you know whatever platform that's no longer around or listening on your iPod or you know something that like, yeah, a lot, lot of a lot of a lot of famous people went through there. Amy Schumer, others, oh, yeah. Paul it's F. Veritable- Tompkins. Paul F. Tompkins was a, a comedy minnow when he, when he, uh, <laughs> and now he's uh, huge. Who else is good? Someone I'm talking to tomorrow. Do you want to give a shout out to John Ozelay? I'm talking to him tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You're still friends. It'd be it. terrible if you'd had a huge fallout. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, love John o. Please give him my best. And uh, he's, he's another uh, comedian that, uh, well, one, he has a background in science, obviously, as you know, but two, like sports. And that's, that's, I would say, a rarity in comedy. And so I know he's going to be insufferably intelligent. I just know he's, it. Yeah, he's the best. Very I'm try uh, low key. I'm going to try and dumb him up a bit somehow. Game to say, yeah, dumb he's stuff. got a dumb mustache. I mean, you could just, he looks like he could step on any set and play a cop. You can make fun of him about that. I can't. So handsome, so striking. And a really great mustache, too. It's just, uh, <laughs> Well, we've got to let Dave go because he's got to continue on with his screen printing and this is important work. He'll probably <laughs> flick, flick me an image at some point. And, uh, yeah, I can, I, uh, of what's going on, can you give us a little image later of, of what's going on so with the, um, uh, oh, yeah, sure. emulsion crisis and, you know, <laughs> if things go poorly, <laughs> that's almost better for me. <laughs> okay yeah i'm helping a friend who is helping his friend for her band or tour or something so the image is not something that i'm like personally familiar with but yeah i'll I'll try to copy read it it, but maybe i can uh, promote her tour or something so i will do my best to uh share it well have a good day david huntsberger we're looking forward to big nothingness And that's all the words that I definitely had to get in the end. 
thanks, Dan. Always nice chatting with you. Thanks for having me. And I hope you and your you and yours are safe and happy and uh, healthy. Wow, wasn't that amazing? An amazing chat landscape we built up together. Super big thanks goes out to both John Ozelay and David Huntsberger for their time and energy. In other news, there's always loads of Slice Radio stuff going on. Follow us on the socials. Things like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, yes, even TikTok, soon to be Twitch. Go to the website at sliceradio.com.au. It's nice over there. We've been giving the website a bit of a tickle up so you can go over there and have a bit of a browse and see what you reckon. Everyone loves going to websites. Remember, we've always got the apps. Android and Apple. They're always there, ready and waiting to go. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and stay safe.